So God comes to us, comforts us, now we're able to comfort others. We're able to uh, strengthen them. We're able to help them emotionally and mentally and spiritually. And folks, if ever we need to be strong, it's these days. Well, would you open your Bible, please, to Isaiah chapter 40. I want to speak with you for a little bit on the subject, Comfort for Christmas. Isaiah chapter 40. And George Frederick Handel was a great composer. He's probably best known for his composition in 1741 that we call Handel's Messiah. And it's a masterpiece. It begins with a tenor voice, sweetly singing, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. And we love to hear that around Christmas. And that's what we have here in chapter 40 and verse 1. And these first five verses here really are speaking about sins forgiven for the nation Israel. Uh, It's going to come. It's going to happen. Israel is going to see her Messiah, the King. He will come. Um, Unfortunately, there's going to need to be a tribulation before that happens. And uh, many of us, as we look around and see what's happening in the world, and we're, of course, shocked. um, But at the same time, we're reminded that um, for us, the coming of the Lord could happen any moment any moment there there is no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled in order for Jesus to appear in the clouds and take his children home and in fact we're going to look at that uh, passage uh, near the end of the message here today but this portion of scripture deals with the nation Israel and the prophecy you know is a comfort and it's a comforting word that God has for his people. The book of Isaiah is broken into three main sections, and chapter 40 begins the third and final section, and it is a section about, uh, it's prophetic, and it's about, you know, the the coming king and uh, the restoration of the hearts of the Israeli people with God through the Messiah. So that's what we have here, and I think that this is probably the best kind of comfort that anyone could have is peace with God and sins forgiven. I think that is the very best kind of comfort that we can get from God. And so at this Christmas time, you know, there's a a hymn that is often sung. It's a 16th century English Christmas carol, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. And there's a line in there that says, O tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. And so I'd like us to uh, uh, pray and then look at this subject of comfort for Christmas. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads as we pray? Heavenly Father, help us to gain some comfort from the scriptures today and to get a better idea maybe how we can comfort others. And so please, dear Spirit of God, as only you can, comfort and strengthen our hearts as we think about the King of Kings and help us not to miss the miracle. All of the decorations are wonderful. And the fancy food, why, that's fantastic. But let us not miss the miracle and what it's all about. 
Open the eyes of our understanding today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the word comfort is a great word. I think you'll agree. You know, we often get the, the idea that comfort just deals with soft feelings, you know. And that, that's true. There, there are some wonderfully soft, you know, emotional feelings with the word comfort. But the word uh, comfort actually means to bring strength, to get it all together and bring strength. How many of you here play a piano or a keyboard or something like that? Raise your hand. Uh, not enough of us. All right. Well, there is a word, forte, that all you piano players will know. And what does forte mean? Yeah, strong. And that's the root of the word comfort. At the F-O-R-T is the strength, right? That's why they call that compound a fort. You know, when all the army guys get in there and it's built strong, that's the fort. Comfort really brings strength. And it does that often through the nice, warm, fuzzy, soft feelings as well. So the word comfort is an amazing word, isn't it? A lot of strength in comfort. And when you are without strength, that's when you kind of need comfort. When you're feeling all like a piece of uh, wet spaghetti and, you know, the world's coming at you, uh, you really need a little bit of comfort and strength. And so this word, wonderful word, it puts its invisible arms around us and helps us through difficult times, times of pain, times of despair, times of loneliness, times of financial need even, times of sickness. It aids us with soft strength. Now, there are certain foods that we call comfort foods, right? How many know what I'm talking about? Comfort food, raise your hand. All right, so good. Wish there were, we had that many piano players here. The comfort foods. And uh, usually people have them. You know, when you're feeling tired and the world is all over you, you want to just eat chocolate. Or for some people, it may be it's French, French onion soup. That is a comfort food for many. Or how about um, potato chips? Maybe for some ice cream? Ah, pizza. Ah, talk about a pizza and, and ice cream with chocolate for dessert. Does that sound comforting? We have our comfort foods that we run to, you know, when we need a little bit of uh, TLC and a little bit of building up. And so... This is a wonderful word. Maybe you will remember times when you were young, growing up, you know, in your parents' home, and something would threaten you. Maybe you'd be awoken in the, the middle of the night, you know, with a bad dream or something, and your heart's racing, you know, and you're frantic, and there's mom or there's dad putting their arms around you, and they're telling you, it's okay, it was just a dream, don't worry about it, it's just a dream. And that helped, didn't it? Or maybe something happened at school, you got bullied or you fell off your bicycle or whatever and there was mom or dad to help you. And that's kind of the idea of comfort. You know, the world today is in a terrible mess. You know that. And there are so many, not just people, let's say nations. There are so many nations that need comfort. They really do. There are some 33 wars going on in the world right now. The two main ones that are in the news all the time, of course, are Israel and what? Ukraine. Yeah. 
They're uh, pushing two years on their war. Isn't that wild? That's something. And I think it's, uh, uh, is it 12 weeks? Is that what it is? 12 weeks on the uh, war in Israel? Or something like that. Anyhow, there's lots and lots of uh, hurting people all over the world. And they need comfort. Really, comfort that only God can give. And God wants to give comfort. God loves people. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the Lord Jesus was given to us mainly, and there are several reasons why God gave his only begotten son, but the main reason was sins forgiven and peace with God so that we could have a relationship with God. God is looking for a relationship with people. There are so many people that think of salvation as just like a ticket, you know, out of hell. You know, I don't want to go to hell. I'll go to heaven. I'll just put that in my pocket. But they're not too interested in having a day-by-day relationship with God. And that's what God is looking for. He's looking for people that he can have a relationship with. In fact, we do the same thing, don't we? We go through life looking for that special someone that we can have a relationship with. And we have children so we can have a relationship, family relationship. We come to a church so that we can get ministered to, of course, but so that we can have some kind of relationship with uh, people as well. And so that's what God is looking for. And it comes through the Lord Jesus. And it's very comforting, I might add. Now, I'd like to look at a few verses in the Bible that'll help us get a real good understanding of of comfort. And there's different ways that we get comfort. If you go to the New Testament, please, and find the book of Galatians. Now, that's going to be after Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians and then Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Now, you'll need, you'll need your Bible because we're going to read it together. There's a verse in chapter 6 we're going to read together. And so, um, if you're having trouble, just kind of nonchalantly look at the person next to you and kind of get an idea where they're at and maybe that'll help. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 2. Galatians 6 and verse 2. Read it out loud with me now, please. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ was that we love one another. And by bearing one another's burdens, we help fulfill that wonderful law of Christ where we love one another. But what I'm saying is that sometimes comfort comes to us when there is someone there to share our burdens. Now, there are certain burdens that you have to bear yourself. You've got to brush your own teeth. Don't expect others to come and do that for you. Unless, of course, you know, you're quadriplegic, perhaps. And, you know, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. But um, there's certain things in life. You know, you have to comb your own hair. You learn to dress yourself and feed yourself. And you have to uh, take your responsibilities in life. But then there are other times where these extra big burdens come on us. And we need a little comfort. We need a little help. And that's what Galatians 6.2 is talking about. Bearing one another's burdens. Um, a little girl once came home and, uh, from her neighbor's house. And, and her mother said, uh, Sweetheart, where were you? Oh, I was next door 
um, at, at the neighbors. You see, her little friend had died. Next door neighbor, little, little friend or little girlfriend had died tragically. And uh, her mother asked her, well, why did you go over there? And she said, uh, uh, to comfort her mother. And the little girl's mom says, well, what could you possibly do to comfort her mother? And the little girl said, I climbed up into her lap and I cried with her. That's comfort. There's a pastor in Ontario, and I just got this email. Uh, it was just this morning, early this morning. The pastor's been there for many years, and uh, his daughter married uh, a nice Christian fellow. Um, they had a couple of boys, and so uh, the daughter's husband is 38, and he just dropped dead of a heart attack. And so the request went out to pray for the, the family. Now, I've never met them, but I'm praying for them. And so sometimes burdens come into people's lives, and they need a little help. One way, of course, is to pray. Pray one for another. All right, let's look at another one. If you turn to the right, close to the end of the Bible, after the book of Hebrews, you'll find First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5. Sometimes it's comforting to know that there's a brother or a sister who's going through the very similar thing that you're going through. And that can be comforting as well. In First Peter chapter uh, 5, and I'll, I'll read these verses here, uh, but I'd like you to follow along with me as I read from verse 7. It says, Casting all your care upon him that means into God's hands or into the hands of Jesus for he careth for you be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil now there's our enemy right there it's not the guy down the street it's not the lady across the street it's the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour that doesn't sound good the devil's trying to devour us Verse 9, now here's what I want you to see. Whom resist steadfast in the faith. So we're told to resist Satan. Knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Whatever it is you're suffering, I can guarantee you there's another Christian who's suffering it too. And probably at the same time. You're not the only one suffering temptation. You're not the only one suffering physical pain. You're not the only one suffering loss of loved one or loss of job or loss of wealth or loss of reputation. You're not the only one. There's all kinds of other Christians they are suffering it too. And I might add, some of them are suffering worse than what you might be. And so... There's a comfort in knowing we're not alone. The, the old enemy, the devil, he's after you, he's after me, he's after every Christian he can. And he makes us, sometimes he, he gets away with it, he, but he causes suffering in our lives. And we're to cast our care upon the Lord. 
But we're also to remember that there's other brothers and sisters that are going through it too. During the English Reformation in the 1500s, it was a terrible time to be a Christian. And there was two Christian men named Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley. And they loved the Lord dearly. And they were preaching the gospel and they owned copies of the Bible, which of course was was not allowed. And so they were arrested in 1555 and condemned to death in the town of Oxford, England. They were to be burned at the stake. According to sources, to people who were standing there at the time watching when this was happening, it was a public execution. As the flames rose up around them, because they were bound at the stake, you know, and the wood was put there at their feet and they were, it was lit aflame. Latimer was heard to say to his friend, Be of good cheer, Mr. Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust never shall be put out. And truly, their lives were a testament to faith and love in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I do believe God used them in the Great Reformation at that time. And so comfort comes to us when we have someone who can share our burden. Comfort comes to us when we know that there are others who are going through very similar testings and trials and problems, such as what we're going through. Sometimes comfort also comes just by looking into the face of a leader. Now for this, if you would turn to John chapter 16. So back to the left of the Gospels, to John chapter 16. And I'll get your help to read again. Verse number 33, John 16, 33. John 16, if you have that, would you read out loud with me now together? Here we go. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So sometimes just by looking into the face of a leader, into the face of our Savior, there's comfort to be had. Robert Louis Stevenson, the great author, lived during the 1800s, and he once told a story about a ship that was caught in a storm near a rocky coast. And of course, the storm threatened to smash and dash the ship and all lives on it upon the rocks. In the midst of all of the terror and storm, the captain had commanded everyone to stay down below where it was safe. And one daring man Contrary to orders, he went up on the deck and made a dangerous walk to the bridge. The bridge was sort of like the little control room on the ship. And there he saw the helmsman. The helmsman was the man who stood behind the big wheel. And he would steer the ship. That's the helmsman. And the helmsman was fastened, lashed in, so that he wouldn't stumble and fall away. And he was held in tight to that wheel, and he was holding onto the wheel firmly as inch by inch he was carefully steering 
the ship away from the rocks. And the helmsman uh, turned and saw the man who came up from the deck and he smiled at him. And the man saw the helmsman smile. And he turned and made his way back across the deck and down below where everyone was scared and huddled. And he said to all of the passengers, he gave out a note of good cheer. He said, I have seen the face of the helmsman. And he smiled. And all is well. So sometimes comfort can come from looking into the face of a leader. And then, of course, sometimes a word from the Lord can greatly comfort us. Now for this, I'd like you to turn back to the Old Testament book of Joshua. So after the first five books, then comes Joshua. And chapter 1. At this point in the biblical narrative, Moses, the man of God, had died. And Joshua was the new man of God to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And although he was 80 years of age, he was still human. His great leader of men, Joshua. He was nervous and he was unsure of the future. And that's something that can happen to any of us. And so the Lord says to Joshua in chapter 1, in verse 5, he says, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage. Now in my Bible, I have those words underlined. Because they jump off the page. And I want them to minister to me every time I visit chapter 1. Be strong and of good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land. Which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Here it is again. Only be thou strong and very courageous. And I have that underlined as well. That thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Now this is the law under Moses, that's Old Testament. We are under grace today, we're not under law. So just to point that out. Um, So he says, according to uh, the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Now verse number 8, would you read it out loud with me? This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. In a nutshell, God was telling Joshua, be strong, be courageous. You have the scriptures. This would be the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Joshua had that and God was telling them, telling him, if you read it, meditate, so that you do what I tell you to do, he says here, you'll prosper, you'll have good success. That's what he says at the end of verse 8. 
Uh, one reason, I need to get this in, folks, but one reason that sometimes we uh, don't have such good success is we're not reading our Bibles. I know that that's not what you want to hear, but maybe it's what somebody needs to hear today. If you're not reading your Bible, if you're not seeing what God has to say in the book, every day you need to be in the Bible. Every day you need to be reading chapters and spending time praying. If you're not doing that, you will experience some problems that you probably should be avoiding. God's Word will guide you and give you wisdom so that you can go around certain problems in life and, and not smack into them and, you know, experience all of the repercussions and the consequences. We can avoid uh, some failures. We can avoid some heartaches and tears if we would read God's Word. God promises that he, He'll make us to prosper. And so this is encouraging. This is something that you can do. The Word of God will comfort you. It'll strengthen you. Now, sometimes it'll rebuke you, uh, but it will comfort and strengthen you more than it'll rebuke you. It'll be a great source of vitamins and minerals and nutrients and everything that your soul and spirit need. In fact, the Bible even says uh, in Proverbs that there's a good physical effect on us when we read the Bible, get the Bible, get in the Bible reading habit. Maybe you've heard of the famous missionary by the name of David Livingston. Maybe you've heard of him. He was the man who pioneered a lot of missionary work in Africa. Back in the day when David Livingston was alive, Africa was known as the Dark Continent because much of it was just unexplored and uh, people just didn't know. David Livingston was called of God to take the gospel throughout parts of Africa. And so uh, he was a man to human like us and he would often be afraid and often he would feel weak and so on. And on one of his very few furlough trips back to England, he gave this, this testimony as to what kept him going. He said, uh, often he would resort to the Lord's promise. And he took this literally. And so can you and I. It's in Matthew 28. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. There's the words of the Lord Jesus promising, I am with you always. That means all along the way. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And David Livingston read those words of Jesus and he took them personally, literally. And that's what kept him going. Maybe you need to keep going. Maybe the storms of life are pressing you down and maybe Christmas is a nice little break for you. But you know that come January, you're going to have to get back into the grind. And maybe there's some, some grinding you're not looking forward to. Well, remember the words of our Lord Jesus. David Livingston did. David Livingston, if he was in your position, working where you work and in your situation with the people that you're connected to and he just kind of slipped in your place, he'd feel discouraged too. But he would go to Matthew 28 and take the words of the Lord Jesus. Lo, I am with you always. And so because of this, it gave him great comfort and courage to be able to explore some of the remote places in Africa and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to many lost souls. 
So you see, there's many ways in which God can comfort us. It can come to us in various ways. And this is important for us to know because I'm saying to you this, folks, let's comfort one another at Christmas. You, you never know. It may be our last Christmas together before Jesus comes. You don't know. You don't know some of the burdens that someone else sitting right next to you might be having to go through. You just don't know. And so listen, comfort ye my people. That's the message of the day. Comfort ye my people. May every true believer in Jesus Christ reach out to Christian men and women, brothers and sisters, and bring them comfort. Well, you say, Pastor, how do I know that that's what God wants me to do? How do I know that God wants me to comfort other, other believers and people around me? Well, I can tell you, and you don't have to turn there, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. So, there it is right there. The scripture is telling us believers are to comfort one another. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, listen to this, verse 3 and 4, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, listen, here's why he does it, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So God comes to us, comforts us, now we're able to comfort others. We're able to uh, strengthen them. We're able to help them emotionally and mentally and spiritually. And folks, if ever we need to be strong, it's these days. The devil is doing such a, uh, a serious hatchet job on churches and Christians throughout the world. There are so many who have, uh, I guess, come underneath the devil's hatchet. And we need to strengthen one another. But the Word of God is going to be our main source of strength. Our main source of strength is not in music. Understand that. I'm sorry to say a lot of churches in the last 20 years or so, have set the Bible to one side and have taken up what they call the, the, the worship committee or the worship band and the worship service where they're almost rocking and rolling. And the Bible is hardly mentioned. Oh, it's brought out, you know, for maybe a little devo, but they'll spend 40, 45 minutes of their time just waving and, you know, Got the words going up on the screen and everything. Folks, that's not worship. That's not real worship. That is not biblical worship. We need the Word of God in us. If you just came to a church service and we just filled your heart, you know, with singing and songs and some testimonies and, and things like that and maybe gave you some chocolates on your way out, then we have failed miserably. But if we can, I, you know, have some singing in there, and I don't mind a cup of hot chocolate, that's fine. But if we can bring to you the strength of the Word of God and build that into you, then we've done our job. We have fed the sheep. Comfort. Very important at this Christmas time. 
how can we comfort one another? Well, you're going to have to come out of your comfort zone if you're going to comfort someone else. Does that make sense? Yeah, we all have our comfort zone. God hasn't called us to hide away in our comfort zones. He gives us little comfort zones and we need them, but we need to kind of step out of them once in a while to help fellow Christians. And there's many ways we can do that. You've heard that poem, How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. Well, how do I comfort thee? Let me count the ways. Number one, you could pick out some names of people in the church and reach out to them. You could do that. In, in almost every church, as it starts to grow, in almost every church, you start getting some groups, or some people use the word cliques. And, you know, in this one group, everyone kind of does their fellowship. Another group, everyone does. And another group, everyone does. That sort of thing. Well, we need to start reaching out. Reach out into another group. That would be good. I mean, your own group has, has gotten your, the benefit of your fellowship for so long now. Let someone else benefit from your fellowship. And reach out to someone that you know by sight, but you don't really know them too well. And reach out to them. That's what family's all about. So come out of your comfort zone a wee bit. Maybe pick up the phone. Call a few people. Wish them Merry Christmas. These days you can do that with an email as well. For those of you that are praying for missionaries, you have, a quote, adopted a missionary or two or three. Well, praise the Lord for that. Have you sent them a Christmas email yet? Mm. If you've forgotten... Take your pen right now, write it on your church bulletin, email a missionary. You, you need to do that. They need to hear from you. You say, well, what if they don't email me back? Join the club. It happens to me too. I sent out a Christmas email to all of our 112 missionaries. I haven't got 112 responses. My wife and I, we every Christmas, we... Go to our neighbors. My wife does all this Christmas baking. We put it into little packages and things. And we go to our neighbors. And we drop these things off. If they're home, you know, we wish them Merry Christmas and thank them for being such a wonderful neighbor. Uh, often they're not homes. Well, we leave it there on the step. We rarely hear anything back. And this has been for years. We don't do it so that they'll call us up or come and visit us and tell us how sweet and nice we are. We don't do it for that reason. We do it for Jesus. We do it to make him known. We shed his love abroad. And my neighbors are human too, and they're going through times of struggle. And I want them to know that there's some loving people just, you know, beside them or around the corner. I want them to know that. So you don't do it for what you get out of it. But you will get. If you, if you sow, you will reap. But that's not why you're doing it. You're doing it for Jesus. And so I'm just suggesting to you, you do this. And email your missionary. Even if they don't email you back. Do it anyhow. Think of someone maybe who's not here today because they're sick. Give them a phone call or send them an email or something. They could use a little bit of TLC, don't you think? Don't, don't you think if they could, they wish that they, they would be here? But they can't because they're sick. And there's a lot of sickness going around. Well, you be that little joy, that spark of, of hope and good cheer, hmm? comfort and joy. Go ahead and do it. We could sure use more people praying one for another. 
And um, I'm just suggesting this. Comfort ye, my people. You know, um, tell you a little story, a true story. My mother told it to me, so I know it's true. My mom was born in 1912. That's when my mom was born, 1912. She went to a one-room schoolhouse where there's the one teacher and all of the kids of different ages, different grades. That was, that was how she was raised. Uh, she was, grew up in a farm in Ontario. And in the farming community, this, was, this is how the kids went to school, in a one-room schoolhouse. And every year, the teacher around Valentine's, now they had different things throughout the year, Christmas too, but on Valentine's, the teacher would, would tell the students, okay, now, uh, all of you want you to make up Valentine cards because next week we're going to give Valentines to each other. And so that's just what they did. And so Valentines came and there the kids were, were given to uh, the cards, you know, to, to different ones. And there was this one boy sitting there by himself. And uh, one of the other kids, now my mother was there. So I'm guessing this happened around 1920. I couldn't tell you the exact year. She didn't tell me, so I can't tell you. But I'm guessing it was around, you know, she might have been eight years of age, around 1920. She saw this happen. There's a, one boy who was sitting there, a farm, farmer's son, sitting there by himself. And another kid came and said, where's your uh, Valentine's? Oh, I didn't get one. You didn't get any Valentines. No, I didn't get any Valentines. Oh, he said, that's no good. Hey, he didn't get any Valentines. What? No, you didn't get any Valentines. Oh, no. Soon, you know, this farm boy, you know, started to feel real sorry for himself. And he started to cry. He didn't get any Valentines. No one gave him a Valentine. Oh, you can have one of mine. And someone else says, yeah, you can have one of mine to try and cheer him up. And then one of the boys said, uh, did you give any Valentines? And the boy was silent for a minute. And of course he hadn't given any Valentines to anyone. And then he says, well, I can't remember all of you. That was his excuse. But you see, he didn't give, so he didn't get. I can guarantee you the law of the harvest is true. If you will give comfort you will get comfort. If you will give encouragement, you will get encouragement. And this is something every one of us can do. And wouldn't it be great if our church really got known in the city as a place of comfort and joy, a place of encouragement, and a place, of course, where God's Word is, is taught. So, I want to bring this to a close here, but... There's another kind of comfort that's, uh, that you need to know about. And you need to go back to the New Testament. I made mention of it just earlier. It's in the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. So, you remember you found Galatians? Well, keep going to the right. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians. If you get to Revelation, stop, turn back, you missed it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You know, there's a lot of Christians today that aren't sure about the rapture, whether it's biblical or not. You know, they hear things on the internet or on radio or something like that, and they read books, you know, people say, oh, the rapture, and that's a bunch of hooey. 
you know, there is no rapture, that sort of thing. Well, I believe there is a rapture to come. I believe that. And the thing is, the Apostle Paul referred to it as a mystery. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he called the rapture a mystery. Behold, I show you a mystery. Now, this was some new biblical truth that the Corinthian Christians didn't know. Paul didn't have it at the time. The Lord revealed it to Paul, and then Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. It was a new biblical truth that God revealed to Paul, and Paul passed it along to the Christians. And he mentions it here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that means Christians that have died, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. And boy, oh boy, if you want to see people with no hope, just go to an unsaved funeral. And there are people that are just seething and broken and weeping because they have no hope beyond the grave. There's so many people. The death holds just this terror, this unknown, and rightfully so. I was in that boat too. I didn't know what was going to happen to me, you know, if I... If, if I died, when we were little children, we were taught to pray. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. We were taught to pray like that as little children. And I remember how that would threaten me. If I should die before I... I don't want to die! That's exactly how I would react. And for unsaved people, they have no hope beyond the grave. And so verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, that means to go before, them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now all this is called the first resurrection, by the way. Then, verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. You see, Jesus is coming back in the clouds. We'll be caught up with him. He'll take us home. The world will under, undergo seven years tribulation, at the end of which we'll come back to earth with Jesus. And so we're going to be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now read verse 18 out loud with me, all together. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Boy, it's a comfort to know Jesus could come at any time. No matter what I'm going through, my testing, my trial, my temptation, my victory, my failure, no matter what I'm going through, it's a comfort to know the Savior could be back any day, any minute of any day. Hallelujah. I can hardly wait. I've been hoping we get the rapture as a Christmas gift. Tomorrow's the 25th. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Those of you that have little children, you can finish raising your kids in heaven. It's a very nice neighborhood, they tell me. You'll like it. Heaven is a wonderful place, filled with glory and grace. I'm going to see my Savior's face. You know that little song? Heaven is a wonderful, heaven is a glorious, heaven is a wonderful place. 
But until then, my heart will go on singing. Pray, I'm going to cry. <laughs> Rapturous moment when Jesus comes for us. Amen. You know, there's one last comfort, and actually it's the very first comfort. And that is the comfort of sins forgiven and peace with God. It's possible that you may be here today and you haven't yet experienced sins forgiven and peace with God. And it's something like knowing about someone, but you've never really met them. Someone asks you, do you know so-and-so? Well, no, I, I, I've heard of them, but I haven't met them yet. So many people are like that when it comes to Jesus. They know about him, but they haven't met him yet. Say, so how do you meet Jesus? Well, it's very simple. He's knocking on your heart's door right now. What you need to do is let him in. Let the Savior in. You say, well, how can he be at my heart's door and someone else's heart's door at the same time? That doesn't make sense. Not to you, not to me, but it does to God. Because God is omnipresent. He can be everywhere he wants to be all at the same time. And praise the Lord, he can do that. Because he is the God of all comfort. And just like we read in Isaiah chapter 40, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. That passage there deals with sins forgiven and peace with God. And if any man, woman, or young person will get serious with God and will come to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I know you're the Savior. I know you died for my sins on the cross. You were buried. You rose again the third day. I know that. I believe that. I also believe that there's sin in my life that needs to be forgiven. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? You see, if you were to sin against another person and you went to them and confessed and said, I'm sorry, I did what I did, I said what I shouldn't have said, and I broke my promise, whatever, would you forgive me? And then that person would either say, yes, I forgive you, or no, I don't forgive you, right? That's in human terms. But God wants a relationship with you. And if you will confess your sin, ask Jesus to forgive your sin, he wants to forgive your sin. But he wants to come into your heart, not just as a Savior, but he wants to come in as Lord. You see, only Jesus can really arrange your life so that it's beautiful. When he's in control, then he's Lord. And only he can do a good job of that. Now, some people don't want that. They don't want Jesus as Lord. Well, then they'll, they won't get him as Savior either. He, he's Lord and Savior. It's a, it's a package deal. I don't know if there's anyone like that here today who's not yet received Christ as Savior, but if you, if you haven't done it, now is your opportunity. Well, I'm done preaching, but I'd like to pray. If you'd close your eyes and bow your head, we'll have a word of prayer. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.